Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Today is actually Palm Sunday. Did y'all know that? Today's Palm Sunday, and uh, you, you know that's why we're celebrating the Lord with our with our palms, right? We're we're clapping. Oftentimes, there's you know uh, what we think of. Some churches will have actual palms that they're swinging and and crying out, "Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord." And basically, this is when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, the week of His suffering, the week of His passion. This is the first day of that week, and so we call that day Palm Sunday because they were waving those branches and they were saying. Hosanna, and Jesus was, was coming to, to, to fulfill all the things that you've been talking about. I mean, it is coming down to the wire. We love what Jesus has taught us. We love all the miracles, all the stuff he's been doing. But now is the time for Jesus to really accomplish what he came for. And so he spends these three years teaching, showing us what life looks like, full of the Spirit. And now he's gonna, now he's gonna pay for us. Now he's gonna accomplish what he came for. It's all gonna boil down. Listen, any Jesus that eliminates Passion Week is not the Jesus of Scripture. This is where he revolves. This was his mission. This is what he came for. But I want to tell you today that it wasn't the palm branches and the cries that brought Jesus into the streets of Jerusalem that day. It was the love of God. It was the love of God that was in Jesus. John 3, 16, right? The, the most popular scripture in the whole world, right? Even, even filthy, rotten sinners can know, know John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave Jesus the very, very best. And so what, we're, what we know is we know the mission of Jesus is what? To seek and to save the lost. And he would have to go to the cross to do that. We know that's the mission. But what was the drive? What was the heart of the mission? Why was he seeking and saving the lost? Because he loved them. Because he loved you. Because he loved me. Hey, have you ever lost something that was really important to you? Years ago, decades ago, this I was single, and this woman came up to me in our in our church, not not like that, and she was a, the parent of one of the kids in our ministry, you know, and she had this ornate gold ring, like it was, it'd probably be back in style now. At that time, it wasn't, and it was kind of gaudy, you know, it was gold and had all these diamonds and a big old diamond in the middle of it. And she came up to me after service and she said, she said, Josh, I know that you're, you're, you're believing God for a wife and all this kind of stuff. And she said, I wanted to give you this gift. I think God wanted me to give you this, this ring. And man, I was like, darn, come on, you know? And so the Lord has me in mind. It was, it was a wonderful gift. So I stuck it in my pocket. It might've been before or after our service that night. We went and hung out with some teenagers after service, kind of the way we did back in the day. And then that night I got home and looked for the ring and I couldn't find it. This is like over 20 years ago. 
And I remember calling Leslie. She was an intern in our ministry at the time. I remember calling her and said, hey, will you help me find this ring? I need to go find it, man. I looked through the parking lot. I looked through the youth center. I went to the restaurant where they had the boots. I could not find this thing that was precious to me that helped me remember. Can I tell you today still, we've lived in four different houses since that house. Do you know that there is still a part of me that looks for that ring? Maybe I put it somewhere. Maybe it's in a box somewhere. Maybe it's, maybe it's in a, you know, I don't know, maybe, 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 maybe in a safety deposit. I don't know. Where is it? I find myself continually looking for that thing that is precious to me. Why? Because it, because it speaks of a moment. Because, because I, I, it, it reminds me of the love of God. It was precious. So I, I, I went that time desperately looking for that. And I'm still looking. Did you know when Jesus came on the earth, he came as a seeker. He was looking for that which was lost. He was looking for you. He was looking for me. Why? Because we were valuable to him. This is why he came. He didn't come to give somebody a political agenda. Come on, get over that. He came for you. So when we talk about the love of God, sometimes we, we think that's kind of an immature subject. Like, I want something deeper. Can I tell you today, there is no deeper subject than the love of God. There is no deeper subject. And if you, if you think you've arrived and you think it's shallow, I would encourage you, look again. Yeah. I used to believe this when I first got into ministry. I used to believe that if I preached on the love of God too much, that people wouldn't live holy. I thought, we got to preach God's standard. We got to preach the law. We got to preach works if we want people to live right. You know what I found? It didn't help. People still didn't live right. They didn't live holy. I was preaching against sin. I was preaching about holiness. All those are things that we need to preach. But I thought I could, I could get people to respond to that message and they would live right if I yelled hard enough, if I was mad enough, if they weren't serving God. All this self-effort, I was angry, and it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work for me. We, we need to preach against sin. We need to focus on holiness. The, the, the most common attribute of God is not his love, which we're talking about today. It's his holiness. Get that straight. God's holiness is his primary. His love is holy. Totally uncommon. Don't miss the point. But what I found is if people don't learn to enjoy the Lord, they won't love him back. And so we, what we have is we've created this, this religion, and I don't necessarily think religion's a bad word, but we've developed this religion that's so disconnected that it's all about keeping a thing, keeping a list, and there's no heart invested. And guess what we do with the list? We don't keep it very well. And we get mad at other people that don't keep it very well. But what I found is if I, can be, if I can be connected to the person that provided the list, I want to do the list. The list isn't a big deal. The list isn't a burden. And listen, we want to fear the Lord. But we want to love God out of our affections. Not just, not just raw fear of the Lord. You need the fear of the Lord. We need more of that. Not just out of discipline. Some of you are so disciplined. 
Listen, I haven't served God. I've been serving God a long time, almost 30 years when the Lord captured my heart, 29 years ago. 29 years ago when I met Jesus and I encountered him in my bedroom for months. And it's not, listen, I haven't been doing that every day, most days since then because I'm so disciplined, because I'm not. I do it because I'm in love with Jesus. I do it because my heart is delighted. My heart is full. Now listen, when I don't have the feelies, I got to rely on my discipline. But if all you're living by is discipline, eventually you're not going to be disciplined. You're going to have a bad day. You're going to have a bad day. You're going to have, just like in your marriage, you're going to have a day where you don't feel like you love your spouse. If that's the case, then you won't make it. You got to have discipline. You got to be committed. But see, delight takes the sting out of sacrifice. Delight takes the sting out of sacrifice. So what happens is people start living this sacrificial discipline life and they go, man, I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I'm so good at it and I'm so works oriented. I'm going to bang God and you don't fear the Lord. Then they start pointing fingers at everyone else that isn't doing what they're doing and they're frustrated. And I find myself sometimes falling into this if my heart gets disconnected. What I've found is that lovers keep the list. And labor is laborious. <laughs> Anytime you say, because I encourage people sometimes. <laughs> I try to encourage people all the time. But sometimes, sometimes I'll encourage people and say, just, man, God loves you so much. And they're like, yeah, I know. Listen, if you are not moved in some way, when someone says God loves you, or when you say to the Lord, Lord, you love me, if you're not moved in some way, you just undervalued it. See, no matter how big our revelation of the love of God is, there is always more to encounter. Always. You cannot overemphasize or exhaust the subject of God's love. Listen, beloved, we can spend the next 20 years, every Sunday, every Bible study, talking about the love of God, and we would not exhaust the subject. In fact, you will spend a billion years, billions and billions of years, exploring the wonder and the beauty of the love of God. If you think that's boring, you missed it. The reality is is that God's love is always underestimated. No matter how much you emphasize it, it's still underestimated. No matter how wrecked your heart is, no matter how moved your heart is, you are still underestimating the love of God. It goes on and on. So so let's talk about some realities of the love of God. Y'all okay? Realities. Number one is this. His love is an unfolding constant. This is why it takes a million years, a billion years, trillion years, whatever, zillions. I don't even know. We'll get lost. We won't worry about the days. We won't count the days anymore. We will be locked in, totally fascinated. There will be no boredom. If you get bored during worship, look again. Ephesians 3.16. So this is Paul. He's praying for the church. Get this. 
We're talking about the, the love of God is, is an unfolding constant. In other words, it's constantly unfolding. This is what he says. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So he's strengthening you. This is a good prayer for you to pray every day. Just personalize it and pray it. He's praying that we would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. Come on, believe is the focus this year. And I believe, and and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all God's people to grasp. Everybody say grasp. To grasp how wide. (laughs) It's really wide. And how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ? And to know, the New Living Translation says this, and to experience this love that surpasses knowledge. It goes beyond your ability to think. You can't fathom it. But he's praying that you get it. Well, how do you get it? Through his spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is the escort to the love of God. So when we have this relationship with the Holy Spirit, we think, man, I'm going to be able to go out and lay hands on the sick people. Yes. Do you remember where it's talking about in Galatians, where it says he put his spirit in our hearts, we cry, Abba, Father, is this affection that's going on? Because the Holy Spirit is escorting you. He's bringing you to the banqueting table. He's escorting you in. How do you love God more? Through the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your self-effort. You need the Holy Spirit. And it goes beyond your knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What? God has a lot of fullness, right? We talk about this. I I have a lot of fullness. Right? Sometimes I have more fullness. I'm working on my fullness. God has a lot of fullness. And he's praying that we would be filled with God's fullness. God's fullness is unending. But he's praying that we would be like filled with it. How does that work? Then he says this, now to him who is able to do immeasurably, you know this verse, immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. I've got a big imagination. God can do more than that. According to his power that is at work within us. Now, when we think of that passage, normally we think of a miracle. Normally we think of God doing something powerful in our lives. The context is this. God can work in you more than you can imagine to encounter the love of God. It is his greatest desire for you. This is why Paul prays it. He's praying for our capacity. He's praying that our hearts would be bigger. I want to love God more. In order to do that, my heart's got to be bigger. (laughs) So I need a big God to make my heart bigger so I can receive more of his love, so I can receive more of his affections. The reality is, is we can't fully comprehend the love of God, but it's being revealed. 
It's unfolding, right? It's like a, like reading a novel. How many of y'all like novel readers in here? Like you read, and you read every page. The story's unfolding. It's like that love letter you got when you were in grade school, right? And you're unfolding that letter, right? Come on, y'all remember how it was all folded like a heart or something cool? Pull here, right? And you're reading it, and it's ah. This is the Lord. His his love is unfolding. There's this great anticipation that comes with that. So, so we can't get it. But Paul's praying that we get it. <laughs> Isn't that fun? The Darby translation says it this way. When it says to grasp, he puts it this way, to apprehend. To apprehend. See, we are apprehended by his love as we comprehend it, as we receive it. As we receive it, we're able to grasp it, but we're not able to grasp it. But what happens is it grasps us. When I think about the love of God, I think it's kind of like water. Can you grasp water? Can you grasp water? My hand is wet. I can't get it, but I can be surrounded with it. And if I'm in it, I can grab it. But I've got to be in it to grab it. See, this is why worship's so powerful, because when you're in it, you can grab it. That's why you can experience the love of God, because you're focused on him. And so you can grab it. But if you get out of it, you can't grab it. And some of you have got away from the love of God. You haven't got away from it, but in your mind you have. You've moved beyond it in your thinking. You've moved beyond it in your experience. Listen, encounter the love of God. You know, another thing about water is water flows. You'll, you'll learn this. Water flows to the point of least resistance. Mm. Don't resist. Don't resist the love of God. We have a, a song that we sing sometimes that says, I won't resist you. I love that. Because there's so much of our lives that we're resisting what God is saying, what God is doing. So not only Paul prays that we get it, look at what Jesus prays. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, when Jesus prays something, it's a big deal. When God prays something, it's a big deal. We did a series six years ago called When God Prays. This is what he says. This is, this is at the point of suffering. John 17, 23. May they experience such perfect unity. Come on, that's a prayer of Jesus that so we come together. What is the point of, of unity? Look back to what we just prayed with, with Paul, together with all the saints. The purpose of unity is that we, cre- we have a larger capacity to receive from the love of God. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. And then he says this, and that you love them as much as you love me. Whoa, what? Get this. The Father loves you as much as he loves 
Jesus. If that doesn't set you free, nothing will. Nothing will. I I don't have better news for you than that. It's the best news I can bring to you today. That the Father, who is perfect and holy, loves you as much as he loves Jesus, who is perfect and holy and on point 100% of the time, and you who are not maybe 40% of the time, he loves you as much as he loves Jesus. See, his love, number two, reveals our value. His love reveals our value. See, we don't deserve the cross. However, we're worthy of it. Well, how do you know worth? Worth is how much are you willing to pay for it? What is it worth to you? Put a number on it. If somebody comes to your house and offers you 50 grand for your house and you know the house is worth like 300 grand, you're not going to take it. You would be a fool. God would be a fool to send Jesus to purchase you if he didn't value you. In his unrelenting, unrestrained love, unhindered love, he paid full price for you. He wasn't looking for a good deal. He wasn't looking for other options. He wasn't looking for a payment plan. He wasn't looking for a discount. He was going to pay full price. In fact, he was going to pay the highest price for you. Why? Because he loves you. Get this, it's not a person dying for a person, although that is costly and that is valuable. No, 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 no. It's God taking on the nature of a servant, as Philippians tells us, laying down his divine rights and privileges and subjecting himself to suffer, to suffer for you. God suffering for you. Why? Because you're valuable to him. There is no greater price that can be paid for you. Nothing better. Beloved, stop finding your value in likes, in follows, in affirmations. Find your value in the love of God. All that will go away. It'll go away tomorrow. You're only going to feel good about those 5,000 real watches one day. Tomorrow you'll be looking for more. But beloved, if you will find your value in the love of God, if you will stop finding, ladies, if you'll stop finding your value in a man that will love you. I think God wants to send you a man, but I'm telling you that God sent you a man. A man that is better than any other man. I believe he'll send you another man that loves that man. But don't find your value in the love of a person. Find it in the love of God. So it says this in John 13. It says, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, now, some translations say he would love them to the end. Now he showed them the full extent of his love. 
We, we run around. Jesus loves me this. I know the Bible tells me so. Yeah, good. It's a great start because that's the truth. God loves you because he sent Jesus to prove it. God loves you because he created you in his likeness. God has a mission for your life because he made you similar to him. You're not him. You won't be like him one day. You won't ever attain God's status. I think our society thinks the different, something different. Listen, he calls you his beloved bride. There is, there is no greater human affirmation or affection. Jesus, this is why you've got to be careful when you talk about other brothers and sisters in the Lord. I was preaching one Wednesday night way back when I was youth pastoring, and I said, the American church, and as soon as I said it, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, that's my bride you're about to talk about. I was like, hmm, better be careful, tread lightly. So I shut my mouth. <laughs> Who am I to speak against God, God's elect? Who am I to speak against God's beloved? Listen, the church ain't perfect, but she's perfectly loved. And we should love her as perfectly as, as we can. We're his bride. There's, there's no greater title there's no greater time. I'm not Jesus, but I'm, I belong to him. I'm his lover. I'm his, I'm his partner. I, I think you're not getting this today. God is madly in love with you. Radically in love with you. Not, we're not talking about the world diminished, dark, diluted type of love. Work-based. We're talking about the God of the cosmos, who took on flesh, who stooped to live a life, to subjected himself to suffering, to beating, to die, to death. And he rose, defeated death, the strongest force that we know on earth, that we experience as humans. The, the, most, the, the most definite force on earth is death. This is why we protect lives. His love is stronger than death. This is what rose Jesus from the grave. Didn't just put him on the cross. It rose him from the grave. He loved you. Death can't hold me. I've got to finish the work. Number three, his love is meant to be experienced. This is what Paul's praying. I want them to experience my love. Listen, when God called you to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, I don't call it the great commandment. I call it the great response. Because God loved you with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind. Imagine that, God's mind. With God, all of God's strength, all of his ability, all of his power, he loved you that. So when he, when he, when, when he calls you, to love him back. He's just asking for a response. And the only way you'll do it well is if it's out of a response. Y'all okay today? We are in pursuit. Because it's unfolding, we are in pursuit of discovering the love of God. Some of you, when I say God loves you, you go head knowledge. Register, right? Ching, ching. Okay, God loves me. Check. 
I know it. When, he, when Paul is praying this about that you will know the love of God, he's not talking about head knowledge. He's not talking about mental ascension. He is talking about experience. He's talking about something that, that you feel. Something that you encounter, something that's tangible. I don't know, some of you are just uncomfortable with that. Listen, God wants you to experience his affections. He doesn't, he doesn't want robot lovers that are programmed, that are living by a list. He wants people that will love him back. It's all he wants. Jesus, what do you want? What does the Father want? Love him, love him back. And love the people. Loving people will be easy when you, when you have the love of God as the center of your life. It's easy. And this is what, where John gets into later. His love is not hard to find. It's not hard to discover. It's not hard to experience. The problem is not in the searching. The problem is when we stop searching. Well, they're just looking for, for God's love. Listen, you can look for love in all the wrong places. But get this. Keep seeking him. It takes God to love God. And when you stop looking, that's when you get bored. And I've seen a lot of believers who do this, man. They come in, God touches them, and they're like, oh, I just love God back. Oh, yeah. And then they leave the service. And they don't look at God again until next Sunday. They were nice little Christians, but they didn't look at God. They didn't spend any time with God. And then they get into religion. And then they lose your fervency. Am I preaching to you today? Have you lost, if you've lost your fervency, it's simply because you stopped looking at the love of God. So what happens is we stop looking and then we begin to cool down and we begin to coast. This is what Jesus said in the end, the love of most will grow cold or wax cold. It got away from the fire, got away from the love of God. So it's just getting colder and colder. Beloved, keep your love hot. How do you do that? By getting before him. He's the burning one. So John the Beloved, you guys know John? John who wrote like a lot of the Bible. So John is, a, is the last gospel that was written. And he writes these three books, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And then he writes the book of Revelation. This is what he says about Jesus on John chapter 13, 23. I'm going to use the Amplified, which I don't normally like it very much, but I liked it here. It's one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. He's talking about himself, right? Whom he esteemed. This is how confident, listen, this is how confident he was in the love of God. He said, I'm the one he loved. I don't know about everyone else, but I know why. Because he experienced it. He knew Jesus loved him. Whom he esteemed and delighted in. Whom Jesus loved and esteemed and delighted in was, was reclining next to Jesus' bosom. So he was, he was in the, the chest of Jesus. Why are you laughing? Come on, bring it here. Who said bosom? He, he, they're reclining at the table, the Last Supper. All that we can remember is Judas. Don't forget John. Yeah, there's a Judas at the table. There's always a Judas at the table. Because John's at the table also. I want to be a John. I want to be the one that scooted up right next to him. And I let, take my head and I rest it upon his chest. And then I begin to hear what his heart is saying. I believe in that moment, John experienced the love of Jesus. He was already experiencing it, but now he was hearing it. 
He was experiencing an infection. So he writes in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, This is which is from the beginning, which we have heard. With our eyes we have seen. Which we have looked at. Our hands have touched. I was there at the table. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Get into First John. It's ridiculously convicting because it's all about loving God. So John has this revelation. All the disciples die martyrs, except for Judas. We know his story. All of them are willing to die. John's willing to die. So they take John, whom Jesus loved, and they try to boil him in oil. This is, this is how they're going to, they try to martyr him several times. They could not kill him. So they said, we can't get rid of this guy. Let's send him to Patmos. Patmos is, a, is an island, kind of like an Alcatraz of scripture. They said, we'll just, we'll just send him away. We got to shut up this gospel. We got to stop what God's doing. So they send him to Patmos and, and John is there on this island. And somehow he finds the, the tools to write what he had heard and seen. And he begins to write this word in Revelation chapter one. He says, this is the revelation of Jesus. He doesn't say this is the revelation. By the way, it's not revelations. It's one revelation. It's not the revelations of the end time. It's not the revelations of the, of the, uh, the mark of the beast and you know, world economy or whatever pol- political thing you want to put that into. The book of Revelation is about a man. It's about the man, Jesus. So John is like, this is the guy that I put my head on his chest. And this is the one we saw. This is the one we saw that died. This is the one I gave my life for. They tried to kill me. They couldn't, so they put me here. This is what I'm seeing. Again, I'm encountering him again in his kingly way, in his throne room. You know, the book of Revelation centers around Jesus. It's about a wedding. It's about a reunion. So this is what he says in 1 John chapter 4. This is how God showed his love among us. And we talked about this. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. I love how he can't get over this fact. He wrote it in John 3. He's writing it right here in John, 1 John chapter 4. This is love. Not that we loved God. I mean, we do. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus, the lamb. The suffering lamb, the suffering servant. Why? Because he loved us. Then he, then he talks here in, in 1 John chapter 4, 16. Now it gets into like loving your neighbor and all this kind of stuff. And we, we love that. We want to do that. But if you miss the love of God, you won't get there. You'll love the neighbors you like. You won't, you won't love like Jesus loved or, or love like Jesus told us to love. We won't love our enemies. We'll just love those that we get along with or whose cause that we like. So he says this, and so we know and rely on the love of God. The love God has for us. God is love. So he makes this statement. God is love. It's part of his being. It's who he is. Whoever lives, loves. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Not the worldly kind of love. Get this. This is how love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. When we stand before the day of judgment, we will have confidence. Why? Because we realize that he loved us and we responded to that love. 
There is no fear in love. Now, we use this scripture for a lot of things. Specifically, this is talking about the day of judgment. This is what he says. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And we're not afraid of being punished because we received what Jesus did. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. The reason why we get out of the love of God is because we forget that God loved us first. We love him back. Can I tell you this? When you first come to Jesus, and this isn't a rebuke, this is just reality. You don't love him very much. I would say this, in most cases, your spouse that you marry, you don't really love them that much. You think you do, that's why you want to marry them. I heard one one person say, you get married because you love one another. After you're married, you stay married because you love one another. It's like, why? Because love is committed. That's for somebody today. Did I say that right? Something. Listen, you need God to love God. You need God to love God. You might want the Lord. Awesome. That's, that's a great place to start, but you will grow in love and it's okay. Listen, God's okay with your love being immature. I need to hurry. Number four, his love is steadfast. That means it's internally enduring. His love goes on and on and on and on. Psalm 136 says this 26 times. The whole Psalm, every chapter says this. It'll make a statement about God and it'll say his love endures forever. (laughs) It's just a good one. We could do that. We could say, man, I'm so glad you're here today. His love endures forever. I mean, it's just like redundant. Why? Because you can't overemphasize it. See, God's love does not take a day off. Can I tell you, he only loves you with his entire being. He can't love you any less. He loves you with his entire being. His love stretches into the, the, far past our frailty. It stretches far past our failure. It goes on and on and never stops. His love is unhindered by your weakness. We weak. (laughs) I'm weak. You're weak. But his love doesn't change because I'm weak. His love doesn't change because I'm immature. His affections towards us go beyond our weakness. He's not, listen, he's not swayed by the immaturity of your love. There's a a difference between being insincere and being immature. And some of you, you're just immature in the love of God. He loves you the same if it's full-grown Jesus maturity as he does when it's immature. And you know what happens when you respond to him? Out of that immature love, like some of you, like a big deal would be just for an example, like you're in service and you're just like, really like you're feeling the Lord. And for the first time you like, you've been wanting to, but because everybody around you was doing it, like, you're like, oh, I really want to lift my hand to the Lord. Maybe somebody will think I'm weird or flaky or, you know, one of those holy rollers or something. And you're just like, oh, oh, I just don't know. And then the first time you're like, okay, I'm just going to do it. Is anybody with me? I remember the first time I was like, oh. And then, then you just lift that hand up just a little bit. You just open your hand. You go, oh. And you're like, oh, yeah. I'm really pressing in. Listen, you know what the Lord is doing? The whole time in heaven, he's like, come on. Come on. Let's do it today. 
He's already delighting in you. He's already excited. And when you lift up your hand and just like, maybe I'll get two hands next week. But today it's just, and he's like, yes, look, beloved, beloved, come, look, there they are, they're loving me. You think, I don't tell anybody about Jesus ever. I don't ever tell anybody. I'm just such a terrible Christian. I know I should tell somebody about the love of God today. I know I should share the gospel with somebody. And you're you're at the cash register at the robot. (laughs) Because no, they don't have robot registers anymore. (laughs) And you just look at the person that's there. And you go, I don't want you to say something about the Lord. Holy Ghost, help me. Right? And you're like, Jesus loves you. He's like, yeah, come on, look, look, they're responding. They're responding. He is so thrilled by your immature obedience. And he loves it. He's so excited about when you do that or when you're in front of a crowd preaching the gospel and your doctrine's perfect. He enjoys you now. Beloved, he knew what he was getting into. Lord, I just disappointed you. He knew. He knew how flaky you were. He knew how undisciplined you were. In fact, that's why he came. They can't do it without me. I want them to love me back so much. I'll go. He knows you at your worst, but he still loves you. There's a song, uh, the Helsers, Jonathan, David, and Melissa Helser, they wrote this song. I don't remember the name of it. Just Google it. And it said, they they had this line in there. And I don't know if they wrote it or somebody else did, but it says, the one who knows me best is the one that loves me most. And I remember the first time just sitting in my couch a couple months ago hearing that. And just thinking about all the issues that I struggle with, that you struggle with, and just in our immaturity. And I was thinking, man, God, I'm just such a screw up. And I just remember singing this song, the one who knows me best. I mean, he knows me better than anyone knows me. He knows the deep recesses of my heart. He knows every wicked thought I've ever had. He loves me most. He loves me most. When I'm not, when I don't have it together, Romans 8, I'm not going to read it today, but he says, what, 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 what can separate us? Can hardship separate us? Can life separate us? No, 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 nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And he says in verse 38, I am convinced, Romans 8, 38, I am convinced. See, nothing will change the love that God has for you, but it will change you. The love of God will change you. So how do we grow in our love for God? This is the last point. We're going to come up. We're going to pray right now. I want to love him back. Do you want to love him back? The, the way that you love him back is just gazing at his beauty. Gazing at the beauty of God is how we grow in love for God. I love my wife. There she is. Hi. I know her 
better than anybody. She's more perfect than you think she is. She really is. She's not perfect, but she is more perfect than you think she is. But she's not perfect. I know her worst. What's crazy is like, sometimes, and early on in our marriage, I really struggled with this. Sometimes I would look at, like at, at, at the beauty of her heart and the purity of her heart, and I'd feel unworthy. And what I found is over 18 years, but she loves me still. I've made a, I've done a lot of stupid things. I've said a lot of stupid things. She sees me in my worst, man. I mean, you guys get to hear me be pastor and you see me some bad moments, but she sees me like at the lowest. She loves me. And you know what that makes me want to do? It makes me love her back. And so what I do is I, I don't, I, I stay in, engaged. I stay fascinated and I stay looking at her to grow my love for her. It's the same way with the Lord. How do we grow in our love for God? By looking again. Psalm, Psalm 16. I want you to stand up. I'm going to read this over you because I believe the Lord wants to encounter you today. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come up right now. I know we're late. Listen. It's a deep it's a deep subject, so we just keep go talking. Psalm 16, verse 8. I want you to just close your eyes and let me read this to you. This is the key to loving God. This is the key to life. This is the key to being stability, to being stable, to being stability. That too. I have set the Lord. Close your eyes. Just receive this. I have set the Lord always before me. <laughs> it's a long time. I've just set him before me. Because he's at my right hand. He's, he's right there. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. Because he's there. Because I'm looking at him. My heart is responding. And my, my tongue rejoices. My, boss, my body will also rest secure. Because you will not abandon me in the grave. Nor will, will you let your see. Let, nor will you. Let your holy one see decay. And I'll finish the thought right here. You have made known to me the path of life. What is the path of life? The path of life is gazing at the beauty of the Lord. It's, it's setting the Lord before us. And he says this, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. With eternal pleasures at your right hand. I want you to just lift your hands today. And I, and I want you to just know right now in this moment that the Lord has delight in his heart towards you. Regardless if you've been a good boy or a bad boy to this week or today, or your life, his heart is, is toward you. His affections are on you. He loves you. He loves you so much. This is the solution to all of it. 
to all of life. It's the, it's the path of life. It's setting up before us. Yeah.